Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, who are your heroes of faith who may have struggled with something and walk with a limp, but it has strengthened them? I want to share with you about one of mine, and that is my husband, Mark. And don't worry, I have his permission to tell you his story. Um, We were married nine and a half years ago. It was bringing together a blended family. I had a six-year-old daughter and he a 16-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old son. Mark has great EQ, emotional intelligence, about what it takes to bring together a family and blend them. And I'll never forget the day we heard some arguing from upstairs and Mark looked at me with a wry smile and said, they really are siblings. Pastor Jackie said of Mark that he's one of the most interesting people she knows. Mark loves music, astronomy, history, and as he puts it, he's a guru of useless knowledge. Um, When the show used to be on, some of you may recall Cash Cab, the trivial sort sort of trivia game show cab that drove around Manhattan. If you happen to be lucky enough and get in it, you might win something. All of our family kept telling him whenever he was in New York, find Cash Cab. He didn't get on it, but maybe someday there'll be a reunion of that show. Um, Professionally, he's been a key player um, in digital media and marketing technology. He was one of the pioneers of the industry and took two companies public in that space. He has some great stories about going to visit the guys at Google in their trailer and also some hair-raising conversations with a man named Steve Jobs. Um, So he has, he's one of the smartest people I know, but... Mark has a limp. He was in a car accident 17 years ago, and as a result, he developed a medical condition called cervical dystonia. It's nerve damage, which doesn't get worse over time, but as he puts it, is a pain in the neck. It's treated with Botox quarterly, but with varying degrees of efficacy because the treatment is more of an art than a science. And when you meet Mark, you may notice some neck movement and a bend to his neck, but it is not a degenerative condition. But here's what he's taught me through all this. Mark has forgiven a man who on a sunny Sunday afternoon in downtown Stamford was driving drunk and crashed into his car with his two young children in the back seat. Mark has also come to terms with a limp that he, will, he may have for the rest of his life. He is long-suffering, and he's had to go through life misunderstood because of another person's mistake. And he's not letting his neck or appearance define him. His perseverance in the face of ongoing suffering is a reflection to me of God's character, love, and light. His condition is obvious every time he walks down, walks outside or rides a subway, and he says, it's part of me, but not a part of me. It's a superficial part. I admire that despite the limp, he does not allow it to diminish him or his spirit. He is patient when we're traveling and somebody may call out in the middle of a presentation, well, this guy doesn't agree with me because they'll see his neck moving back and forth. Um, Honestly, I would be put out maybe angry, a little shamed. 
I might withdraw from others and fear unspoken judgments. As his wife, there are times that I get angry, defensive, and might even feel called to say something unkind. But I follow Mark's lead and offer grace, knowing they know not what they say. He has a limp, like Jacob. I have a few, too. And I invite you to consider what are yours or those of your loved ones. Maybe it's a disability or a diagnosis, a medical condition or mental health. It's maybe the death of someone you love or something you love or a secret. What struggles have shaped you, marked you, and maybe left a scar, but out of those weak places, God is manifest. The cracks are there for God's light to shine through. Let's take a look at Jacob's story. As we read the surrounding chapters, and I invite you to do so later today, we know that this man whose life is a mess And he is on the run, fearing for his life. He's running from his father-in-law, Laban. Now he's coming up to a brother who's approaching him with 400 men, a brother who he has betrayed. So some of that backdrop helps us to understand his fear on that fateful night. It's no wonder that Jacob had a difficult and tormented sleep. He believed he was under attack. He's quite sure the morning is going to bring his defeat. Have you ever been there with Jacob, fearing for your life, maybe your material success or the integrity and safety of your family? If so, you can identify with this anguished man. So what does he encounter during the watches of the night? We're told in our text, a man, some translations say an angel, a messenger, a stranger, is the one there. Later we understand that to be God himself who's wrestling with him physically throughout the night till pre-dawn. What do we know about Jacob? He's a strong fighter. He resists well. In verse 25, it tells us, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. God disarms his foe by dislocating his hip, and that point in the hip is known as the wrestler's pivot of strength. At that point, Jacob realizes he's not in control. He's not in charge. Then they move into a verbal wrestling. The man says, let me go, and Jacob asks for a blessing. Jacob is asked for his name, and unlike times in the past where he has lied to get a birthright and a blessing, this time he owns his name, Jacob. Now, you may know Jacob means heel, and if you know the story of he and his twin brother Esau, he's leaving the womb, grabbing his brother's heel, because even in the womb, he's wrestling with his brother. But Jacob can also be translated deceiver, trickster, overreacher, supplanter not a commendable list. And as a confession of guilt, he owns his name and the character that has gone along with it. Perhaps in exchange for his honesty, God renames him with a new name and a new identity. We see this in verse 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob leaves this exchange wounded but blessed. This scrappy, persistent, shrewd, thinking through all contingencies guy believed that night could be his last. 
He had reason to fear. He had stolen his brother's blessing and birthright. He is a deceiver. This was not going to be a friendly reunion with his brother if he got what he deserved. Yet, God uses this guy with a limp. He's out for his own interests, and yet he's our hero. Later in scripture, God is identified by his given name, along with his father and grandfather, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His new name, Israel, becomes the nation of Israel, meaning the people who struggle with God, from deceiver to prevailer. Last week, I had lunch with a dear friend. We work, we've worked on the Greenwich Fellowship of Clergy leadership for 13 years together. Um, Rabbi Mitch Hurwitz from Temple Shalom offered me his insight on Jacob, and I love what he had to say. He said that Jacob was physically damaged but spiritually renewed through this encounter. Through struggle, we grow and become the person that we're meant to be. He said in suffering, so often we find blessings that couldn't have come to us in any other way, and they're not what we expect. Can you see those truths in your life? I know I can in mine. I like to think that that hip wound made walking difficult and running impossible. Jacob had to face his brother in a broken and vulnerable condition. Now God knew what he was gonna encounter that next morning when he met up with his brother and he made it something that Jacob could never have manufactured or controlled. God already prepared Esau's heart to forgive his brother and to welcome him home. The greeting of the twin brother was just like that of the father of the prodigal son who saw him at a distance, who ran towards him and embraced him when he found him. And Jacob ties his reunion with Esau into the night before his time with God, or in the night wrestling. Jacob says, in Genesis 33:10, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Now, if you're like me, we're planners, we try to manage risk. On our less faithful days, we're, we feel somewhat confident about trying to make life work with only an occasional prayer of thanks for God, blessing our extraordinary efforts. But life, suffering, even events that God permits to happen are often the rich soil in us for seeing God face to face. And Jesus had a night of wrestling as well. In his final hours in the garden, he prayed in deep distress before finding acceptance in the prayer, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus and the Father had known great intimacy which was about to be lost temporarily as he took on sin and paid the cost of the cross to heal our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. We come to God with a limp and God the Good Father runs towards us with forgiveness, acceptance, and love because of the finished work on the cross. Jesus enters into our messiness, our human frailty and our angst and stays with us. He doesn't give up on us. No matter how good a fighter we are or how resistant we are to him, he renames us and blesses us in surprising ways. 
Jesus came to earth to make it abundantly clear he restores and redeems our struggle for his kingdom purposes. Jesus is our deliverer. So what is your limp? I shared with you about Mark's, maybe yours is visible or invisible, something no one else sees, only you, but God knows it. Whether we'd like to admit it or not, we all have limps. I confess at times that I, like Jacob, resist God's work in my life. Unfortunately, God has to work to get my attention to risk change and face, you know, have courage to face disappointing others. Sometimes I think I can be like a bucking bronco and God has the ropes saying, whoa, Nellie, calm down, girl. And then he leads me out to green pastures to rest and to receive his care. I wonder if Jacob was a little like that, strong-willed and eager, maybe a little tempestuous, yet somehow he never lost sight of God's presence and God's provision. Throughout his life, he was setting up memorials to honor God. So this has been quite a journey for me personally to get here to this moment to be with you today, and I'm delighted to be here. The past three months have been unique for me in my sense of ministry and of God's call to me to prod me and to point me in the direction of pursuing a call with Stanwich Church, unlike any other time in my 26 years of ministry. Here's part of what I said to the search committee weeks before I knew I would get to preach on Genesis 32 today. My initial response to a potential call at Stanwich was that I thought it was very nice that Nathan wanted me on his team, but I was happy and content where I was. I had a strong sense of loyalty to Greenwich Center for hope and renewal after a very long embattled um, challenges with the planning and zoning. But that set off several weeks of God incidences that were clearly the Holy Spirit nudging or corralling me to pay attention. I still would describe my posture as someone being dragged through a door with their heels resisting forward movement. Um, there was a persistent knock from God calling me to Stanwich that over weeks became more persistent and louder until the night of September 21st to 22nd. Like Jacob, I didn't sleep, and that knocking felt like Jacob wrestling with the angel. Some of you can relate to my story of God awakening you in the watches of the night to get your attention. I woke up at 1.30 in the morning and was up till morning light with all the reasons this possible call to Stanwich wasn't an option. And by dawn, the word came. I didn't expect it. I certainly didn't plan for it. And the word was surrender. And I knew at that time, that wasn't a word from me. That was a gift from God. I instantly felt ecstasy and joy. And not only now was I open to this new role, but I actually had a deep desire to embrace this role if it should be offered to me. There was no going back to sleep. I was wide awake. When Mark came downstairs, I asked him to talk once he got his cup of coffee and said, I have something to tell you. Immediately, before getting the cup of coffee, he said, you should pursue the opportunity at Stanwich. 
I've thought this for a while, but I've been waiting for you to come to it on your own. I said, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Um, some of you know our youngest daughter, Elise. She was a former four-year-old angel in the nativity pageant over at 237 Taconic. Some of you remember those days when the Pancows were the holy family with one of their own babies as Jesus. And Elise was the angel in the front row with a tilted halo who kept needing to readjust it during the nativity. She also was a young Sunday school teacher with Linnea Davis and then a Sky Camp attendee and more recently helper. She is now almost 16. When I shared with her that I was exploring a call at Stanwich, she jumped up and down and said, that's always been my home. I didn't know that. I was amazed. When we called our older two, Douglas 28 and Katie 25 in the city, both were excited for us as a family. Douglas said, I'm surprised but thrilled. I, I've always think it's truly in your calling to work in a church. Katie pointed out that the schedule of ministry would affect all of us with weekend commitments, but making room for each other in a supportive family is what love does. And Douglas's Andrea, Douglas's fiance Andrea said, this is great, you can help officiate at our wedding. <laughs> our children feel a deep connection to Stanwich. Since we were married nine years ago at 237 with Joan Osgood officiating, our three children were our bridal party, and we've all attended services here throughout the years. And I'm so grateful they are here with us today. What you need to know is that it was several weeks after I shared that metaphor of Jesus wrestling with the angel night with the search committee that Nathan, unaware of this, informed me that I was going to be preaching this text in Genesis. I about fell off my chair. He recalls me saying, are you messing with me? Now, I was so flabbergasted, it is possible I said that. But I recall saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was so shocked in awe and surprised about God's scripture choice as this image has shaped my sense of call at this time. For me, it's an honor and a privilege to be a candidate at Stanwich. I began attending here in my early 20s, and no matter where I lived around the country, I always considered Stanwich my home church. Neely and Joan were there as my shepherds, mentors, encouragers through some deep peaks in my life, some high points of peaks of celebration, but also some deep valleys, as did so many of you here, family and friends. I realize this is my chance to come home to you who have given me so much and who have loved me so well. I am excited to get to know you more deeply and to work with the whole Stanwich team who I've gotten to know well over the past seven years as a ministry partner at the center. During that period, I appreciated Nathan's leadership and even more so as we've go been going through the search process, I've known Nathan as a leader I trust and respect. And I also want you to know how hope-filled I am about where Stanwich is positioned in this influential corner of the world I believe if we are surrendered to God's holy purposes, we cannot imagine what he will do through us for his kingdom's sake. There are big shifts going on in churches throughout this region now that 
different events are taking place that are so united in love and purpose, it seems evident the spirit of revival and renewal is underway. And I am delighted in the idea that God's asking me to serve on the front lines to witness and to work in what he's doing. This shift in me has been challenging because it means moving away from a ministry that I love, but the sense of compelling call has made my heart sing. Knowing God loves us enough not to miss our call and to enter into our messiness, to deliver us, rename us, and bless us, fills our hearts with gratitude. Like Mark and Jacob, my heroes of faith, I too walk with a limp. I bear some battle scars from life that have expanded my faith in and deepened my love for my Savior. In the coming years, I look forward to sharing some more of my own story and hearing yours as well of how God is using all of our stories for his glory and kingdom's sake. Amen.